Uh, join me now in taking out your Bibles and turning to Philippians chapter 4. As we turn to God's Word, let's go to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, may Your Word before us be our rule. May Your Holy Spirit be our teacher. And may Your greater glory be our supreme concern through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We are, as I mentioned, at week number four of a short six-week series from Philippians for Peace Under Pressure. Um, join with me as I read Philippians 4, uh, 1 through 9. Paul writes to the church, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Peace through strength. Peace through strength. A phrase that suggests that military power can preserve peace. The Roman Emperor Hadrian uh, lived from about 76 to 138 AD is thought to have coined that expression, peace through strength. Uh, George Washington, our first president, in his annual address to Congress in 1783 said this, If we desire to secure peace... One of the most powerful instruments of our rising prosperity, it must be known that we are at all times ready for war. In Federalist number 24, Alexander Hamilton, one of our founding fathers, argued for peace through strength by stating that strong garrisons, that's the army in the West, and the navy in the East, would protect the Union from the threat of Britain and Spain. In 1980, Ronald Reagan was campaigning for president, and he used that phrase in his campaign, peace through strength. And in 1986, he, he explained, quote, we know that peace is the condition under which mankind was meant to flourish, yet peace does not exist of its own will. It depends on us, on our courage to build it and guard it and pass it on to future generations. However, 
According to Scripture, peace doesn't depend on us. It doesn't depend on our courage to build it and to guard it and to pass it on. It's not peace through strength. Rather, it's peace that depends on God. It's peace from God. And as we will see in today's text, it's the peace of God from God through prayer. It's not peace through strength. It's peace through prayer. For six weeks, we are unpacking and exploring both the content and context of four verses in particular here in Philippians 4, verses uh, 6, um, uh, verses 4 through um, um, 7. These are well-known verses, uh, well-loved verses, uh, memorized, meditated upon it. And we're, we're looking at both the content of these four and the context of what comes before and after in this series, Peace Under Pressure. Because when you say, as we will look more closely, do not be anxious about anything, does that sometimes have the opposite effect? Um, does... Um, the expression in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, uh, that it'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, does that actually, instead of encourage you, uh, does that discourage you? You see, we're living not in a perfect uh, world now. We're living in a sinful and fallen world. The time between the already and the not yet, the time before Jesus' first advent and his upcoming second advent. And living in the, between the already and the not yet is living in a time of pressure. Pressure both foreign coming in from the outside and domestic rising up from the inside. But as we see in these verses, this section, that the God of peace gives the peace of God to his people in the midst of the pressure. Here, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. Remember, it was Paul's first mission venture into Europe. He's probably writing this from imprisonment in Rome around 61 to 62 AD. And as we've been saying, and it's got to be repeated, what's the theme of Philippians? Well, if you just look at the word joy or rejoice, 20 times it shows up. And also the word gospel shows up. And as I've been saying every week, this is more concentrated the gospel, the word gospel, than anywhere else in Scripture. Here in these four chapters, I think 210 verses, we see gospel. And so we've been looking and saying that it's the, the theme of Philippians is joy in the gospel because of the gospel. We see it in the greetings and the thanksgivings and prayer. We see it when Paul speaks about the truth of the gospel, his relationship to it, and the relationship of the church to the gospel. We see a joy through the gospel, joy in the gospel, when he's, when he's talking about truth versus error, threats from the outside, persecution, threats from the inside, whether they be legalism or license. And here we are in this section of exhortations, and then he'll wrap up with some thanksgivings and final greetings. Thus far, when we looked at verses one through three, we saw together for the gospel, that being together for the gospel and staying together for the gospel involves, among other things, standing firm in the Lord, agreeing in the Lord 
and helping one another in the Lord. When we looked at verse 4, rejoice always, mission impossible, we saw that it is a mission, that it indeed is possible, it's practical, and it's a priority. And then last week, when we looked at verse 5 in holy moderation, we looked at these two aspects, uh, what should be seen in us, or what should we be like, and why can it be seen in us, or why can we be like this? And we looked at the word reasonableness, or moderation, or gentleness, and we found that it's hard to define, but you know it when you see it. And we concluded that we are able to be like this because the Lord is at hand both in time, his expected return, and in space. He is near us. He is with us. But it's not so much what we are to be like as it is who we are to be alike. For Jesus, in the holy moderation of his meekness and gentleness, as Paul describes Jesus in a letter to the Corinthian church, that that Jesus, the Jesus of holy moderation, the Jesus of meekness and gentleness, is not only our substitute, he's also our example. And Paul has been saying this, especially in chapter 2 of Philippians. Well, we're going to unpack and explore verses 6 and 7 under two headings, comprehensive prayer and incomprehensible peace. Let's look at verse 6. I'll read it again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Notice these words that are used, anything and everything. Anything and everything, it's all encompassing. Paul is saying here, uh, not don't worry, be happy, as a song about a decade or so said it, don't worry, be happy. No, Paul is saying, don't worry, pray. How would that be for a song? Think it would sell? Think it would be played on air? Don't worry. Pray. Don't worry about anything, Paul says, but pray about everything. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. You know, sometimes always, never are dangerous words, right? You always do this. You never do that. Sometimes... These are the real correct words to use. Anything and everything. It's comprehensive. It's all encompassing. Now, why? Why don't worry about anything? Well, because the Lord is at hand. Remember last week we, we talked about that expression, the Lord is at hand. Is it the conclusion? Is it the introduction? And we kind of realized it's both, right? It applies to rejoicing always. Why can we rejoice always? The Lord is at hand. Why can we not be anxious about anything? Why? Because the, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. Anybody get anxious when you hear the word anxious? I mean, seriously, if, 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 if there was like a lie detector test or, you know, a heart monitor thing, I, 
I would be willing to bet that something happens when we read the word anxious, we hear the word anxious. It's, it's just got something about it. Anxious. I'm anxious about thinking about anxiety. Well, you know, if you look back at chapter 2, verse 20, the same word is, is translated genuinely concerned. Genuinely concerned. So there, there can be a good anxiety, a good concern. Um, Paul will talk to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, and he'll say, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Now, this is interesting. Paul has anxiety because of the churches. It's hard to say. This is probably a good concern. He, he lo- he's a shepherd. He loves the churches. He is awake at night, not worried about them, but concerned for them. Yet, then again, right, Paul is human, right? As we talked about in Sunday school this morning, Paul As he grows in grace, he grows more aware of his sin. And so when Paul says he's got anxiety about the churches, it might not just be the good kind of anxiety or concern. It might be this kind of anxiety. And in fact, as I was paying attention in particular to these verses, a couple things struck me. One is Paul's preaching to himself. He knows anxiety is sinful and he knows As a sinner, he is prone to be anxious, the wrong kind of anxious. So as Paul writes to the church, do not be anxious about anything, I I think he's probably practicing what he's preaching. And when I was up this morning at 2.30, thinking about a lot of things, I I had to practice what I was going to preach today. These verses came in real handy, not just because of 11.15 on Sunday morning, but they came in real handy at 2.45 and 3.21 and 4.17 this morning. Paul is talking about the bad kind of anxiety, the sinful kind. It's incompatible with trusting God. Here Paul is echoing the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that we heard earlier. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. This is not a call to live without care. It's not a call to be uncaring or careless. It's a call to not have a sinful worry. Not trusting God, not believing God. Um, a few years ago, I remember being in a group of pastors and we were talking about the stress and strain of, of ministry in the church. And, and one pastor shared with us that somebody came up to him and said, how do you stay so calm in the midst of all this stuff going on? And he thought to himself, I'm not calm, I'm just apathetic. I just don't care. He was sharing with us kind of what he thought. He knew that his calm was not based on a deep trust in God. At that moment, it was just that he didn't care. No, no, no. Paul is is not talking about being careless and not caring. 
don't worry about anything. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. But also, not only because the Lord is at hand, but there's a means of grace. What is that means of grace? Prayer. But pray about everything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. A lot of words having to do with prayer. And they're not separate types of prayer like this type of prayer and that type of prayer. No, there's words tumbling on top of each other to just emphasize prayer. Everything. Pray about everything. It's all-inclusive. No restrictions on applying it. All the details and circumstances of life. You know, our shorter catechism is great. Our children's catechism, the first catechism, is great too. And they had to be looking at this verse. What is prayer? Help me out. Prayer is praising God, giving thanks for all his blessings, and asking him for the things he has promised in the Bible. Here it is. Praying with thanksgiving, supplications, request, all with thanksgiving. You know, Peter says it well in his first letter, after he's talking about humbling yourself, God exalting you at the right time, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. My friends, how do you cast your anxieties on the Lord? You take it to the Lord in prayer. You cast your anxiety on the Lord in prayer. And Peter even doubles up, casting all your anxieties on him. He could have stopped there, but what does Paul, Peter say? Because he cares for you. It's who God is. We pray. Pray about everything. In his book, Rediscovering Humility, Why the Way Up is Down, Reverend Christopher Hutchinson, in his chapter on kind of egos together, and in a section entitled Humility in Prayer, says this, and I want you to listen to what he says. First, as I have become older, I have more clearly seen my own weaknesses and vulnerabilities in daily life. So what do I do? I pray more throughout the day about all sorts of things, big and small. What else can I do? I need God more than I once did, or at least I know that now. I know that I must fight my spiritual battles in weakness, wearing Christ's armor, not my own. So I pray. Perhaps this is precisely what it means to grow in humility. Pray about everything, big and small. Remember we just sang, come my soul, thy suit, prepare, or whatever it's named in HMA. We're coming to a king. We can bring big petitions, large petitions, What was it? John Knox, give me Scotland or I die? That's a pretty big prayer, isn't it? Small things, detailed things. Not detailed so we can somehow twist God's arm. 
but he cares for you. He cares for you. Do you know that God who cares for you? Do you approach God in prayer only as subjects coming to a king? Or do you approach God in prayer like children coming to a father who is willing, able to help you? My favorite Kentucky singer, songwriter says this, Let us pray, let us pray everywhere in every way, every moment of the day, it is the right time. For the Father above, he is listening with love and he wants to answer us. So let us pray. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. Let your requests be made known. To God. You know, last week when we looked at verse 5, we were to, to make something known to everyone our reasonableness. Our sinful flesh does not want to display that, it wants to display our unreasonableness. Instead of moderation, our sin wants to be extreme. Instead of gentleness, our flesh wants to be harsh. We are to make the gentleness, the moderation, the reasonableness known to everyone. But here, we're to make known something to God. You know, the omniscient God, the God who already knows we are to make known. Have you ever thought about that? God knows, but we are to make known our request to God. So how are you doing today in prayer? Is it a duty? Well, yes. Is it a duty only? No. What can it be and what should it be if you know that you're praying to the one who cares for you? It's a delight. It's a delight. Don't worry, pray. You see, anxiety doesn't thrive in an atmosphere of prayer. We, um, on the ship, had these fire suppression systems, carbon dioxide, some other systems, and one of the things they would do, would you would, if an engine module was on fire, you hit the fire suppression system, and the carbon, uh, I think it was carbon dioxide, went in and the fire was extinguished. Why? Because the oxygen, whatever, got sucked out. There was, the fire went away. You see, it's as if prayer is an anxiety suppression system. Anxiety can't thrive and grow in an atmosphere of prayer. Thankful prayer. Prayer extinguishes the fire of anxiety, so to speak. Now, you and I can be anxious, to be sure. We can be sinfully, momentarily caught in a trap of anxiety. Yes, of course. But we're talking chronic, paralyzing anxiety with prayer. It can't coexist. Because prayer, if anything, is is trusting God. And anxiety, if anything, is trusting yourself. 
and trusting God and trusting self cannot coexist. We try, and it makes us miserable. It makes me miserable. You know, I'll trust God 80%. I'll trust me 20%. Wait a minute. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. He will make straight your paths. Don't worry. Pray. Well, what does this kind of comprehensive prayer do? What does it lead to? What do you get out of it? What's in it for me? Well, what we get out of it is peace. Incomprehensible peace. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God... uh, Translators, scholars, theologians have noted Paul usually doesn't use and like this. This is very unusual. This connecting and is really important. It's tying verse 6 and 7 together. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see... When it comes to peace, Jesus, as it were, brings two gifts. He brings peace with God, and he brings the peace of God. Remember what Paul says in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The hostility is over. We are reconciled. But here in verse 7, we see, And the peace of God. The peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Um, Peace in the midst of trouble. I want to go back to John, John's gospel for a moment. Think about what we read about peace in the midst of trouble and trials. Uh, John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is going to leave peace, he's going to give peace. If you go over to John 16, at the end of John 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In me, you'll have peace. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Three times we read in John 20, peace be with you, peace be be with you. Peace be with you. Do you think Jesus may have wanted to emphasize that to those who followed him? And here, this peace is defined as peace beyond understanding. Peace that surpasses, what is it? Um, Peace It surpasses all understanding. Remember, we've been seeing Paul's connection with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. You see that in Philippians 4. Well, remember 
what Paul said in Ephesians 3, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Love surpasses knowledge. Think about what Peter said about joy in his first letter. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And here, peace. Peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Love that surpasses knowledge. Joy that's indescribable. Peace that transcends understanding. The fruit of the Spirit. Um, Paul speaks of the spiritual person and the natural person. And the natural person can't understand the spiritual. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. You see, believers have a love that that the world doesn't understand. Believers have a joy that the world can't understand. Believers have a peace that they can't understand. And here Paul is saying basically you also have a peace that you really can't precisely define. You know it when you've got it. Is that wishy-washy? Is that squishy theology? It's biblical theology. It's a peace that passes understanding. Well, wait a minute. Aren't I to be precise? Aren't I to be accurate? Aren't I to be just completely right? Surpasses understanding? I think we need to leave it at what Scripture says. I mean, Paul says to the Roman church, may the God of hope fill you with what? All joy and peace in believing. If you're not believing, there's no joy and peace. At least the peace that there's being described here. You know what that peace is like, right? When the world is falling apart and you've been betrayed, you've been abandoned, things have not gone well, the, the job you wanted, somebody else got it. Somebody misunderstood you. Somebody has falsely accused you. How can you be at rest, at peace? It's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. You know, mystery is still an element in the Christian life. Everything can't be charted out in a diagram. There's a mystery to it, right? Not just mystery is it, it was once hidden but now revealed in terms of the gospel mystery. But just, we don't have the, God has the knowledge, we don't. There's an element of mystery. You know, things that can't fully be comprehended can nonetheless be fully experienced, right? Human. How do you put into words the love, the joy, the peace? that you have through the Spirit of God. And what does this peace do? It guards you. It guards your heart and mind. It, it, it guards the very center of you. And Paul is probably thinking about the Roman garrison that's stationed in Philippi to promote law and order. He's probably thinking about the guards that have him in the Roman house arrest. 
And, and where are you being guarded? Is it in Philippi? Is it in Rome? No, it's in Christ Jesus. That's where you're guarded. You're standing firm in the Lord. You're agreeing in the Lord. You're, being, you're helping one another in the Lord. You're rejoicing in the Lord. You're being guarded. Your hearts and your minds are being guarded in Christ Jesus. Here's an aspect of Paul's doctrine of union with Christ. Um, I, I've got Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion on my bookshelf. And I've got some things underlined and highlighted, but I've got one bookmark, one little sticky tab that I need to go to often. And it's at the beginning of book three, entitled, The Way in Which We Receive the Grace of Christ, What Benefits Come to Us from It and What Effects Follow. And this is what Calvin says. We must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. What is Calvin saying? In other words, apart from Christ, you can't get any benefits from him. In Christ, with Christ, joined together in a faith union with Christ, you get all of his benefits. Forgiveness, justification, sanctification, adoption, assurance. He's talking about inward peace in the midst of outward trouble. A world full of trouble as Jesus told his disciples and as they experienced themselves yet at peace. We aren't home yet. You know, after the service, most of us are going to find our way home, right? But that's not really our home. Our home is in heaven and we await a Savior there, right? So what is happening right now is we are being guarded while away from home. Because you see, peace is the atmosphere of heaven and right now, as the Spirit of God works that peace in us, it's as if heaven has come to the real world. Where are we? Well, here on earth, those of you trusting in Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus. And we are in the protective custody of God. Protective custody of God. My friends, there is no better place to be, safer place to be, no more peaceful place to be than in the protective custody of God. So what do these verses tell us? Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything and peace will protect. It's peace not through our strength, but it's peace through prayer. Prayer in Jesus' name. It's not a peace that we build and guard and pass on, but it's a peace that God provides through faith. You know, Paul did not have the objective peace with God nor the subjective peace of God until he met Jesus. You see, the peace that comes through prayer is a peace that comes through through confidence in God, not confidence in yourself. 
Self-trust, self-confidence is deadly. Turn back with me to Philippians 3. Philippians 3, verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He counts it as rubbish so that he can gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, if I'm self-confident, if I'm trusting in myself, I'm going to be anxious about everything. And I'm not going to pray about anything. Peace through prayer, and peace not through our own strength, but peace through our weakness. Paul writes that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Paul wanted a thorn in his flesh removed. He pleaded at least three times, get it out of here, God. I cannot bear it any longer. And what was God's response My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Strong people don't pray. Weak people pray. So here in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, we see comprehensive prayer and incomprehensible peace. My friends, these verses are an invitation to commune with God. And they're a gift to be received from God. The invitation to receive the gift has been sent. Accept it. Receive it. And enjoy it. It's here before us in the text. May God be pleased to bring it into your life. A life of comprehensive prayer and a life of incomprehensible peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for preserving these words for our benefit, for our growth in grace. Father, we acknowledge that apart from trust in you, dependence upon you, communion with you, anxiety would rule and reign in our lives. But Father, you are the God who cares and you are the God who invites all your children to cast their cares on you. And so Father, may we be a people May we be individuals, families, and church that prays about things big and small. A church that doesn't worry about anything but prays about everything. 
Father, help us to recognize that this peace does not come through our own strength, but it comes through prayer, where your people pour out their hearts to you. Amen.